0: Hello podcast listeners. Today's sermon is from the third Sunday in Lent of year B and we are staying with the gospel from the lectionary and my sermon title is Where Are Your Priorities? Our scripture reading for worship is the gospel reading from the lectionary. We're looking at John chapter 2 verses 13 through 21. The Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. Loving God, we give you thanks for this word which gives us life. As we think about it, meditate on it. Help us in our consideration. May understanding bring decision, and may decision lead to determination. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we talk about priorities, I like what comedian Tim Ross says. You know it's time to rethink your life choices when you're throwing away an empty McDonald's bag in the trash can in front of the McDonald's you're walking into. (laughs) Another meme I saw showed a man who had flipped his car in an accident. He was shown half out of his car on his back, and a police officer is looking down at him. The man is holding his cell phone, and the caption says, Hold on, officer. Let me finish this text I was sending. Sometimes we don't think about what it is we prioritize. And sometimes we make decisions that have unintended consequences. And yet we continue to do them because they have become habits. And we say, how did we get here? (laughs) We're not sure, but we've been doing this for a long time and so we're kind of stuck. I think that's what happened to make Jesus so angry. This is as mad as we see him in the Bible. And John's version of this story actually tells us that he makes a whip of cords that's a pretty violent image. What would make him so mad? John's version of this story places it at the beginning of his ministry where the other gospels put it at the end. In fact, it's right before his arrest. It is thought by scholars that this overturning of tables would have helped lead to his arrest. So did he do it twice? That's highly doubtful. John uses a lot of symbolism His gospel contains the I Am statements of Jesus, which are very theological in nature, and they're not to be taken literally. Jesus is not actually a vine. But he says he is. (laughs) Symbolic. So when John places this story at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, John is making a statement for us. At this point in church history, we're continuing in our break from Judaism. As John is later in writing, it may be that the church has moved far enough away to be considered a different faith, whereas in Mark's day, maybe 20 to 30 years earlier, the church could still be considered a sect of Judaism, depending on who you ask. In John, we can immediately see the forecasting of the resurrection when Jesus speaks of the temple of his body being raised up in three days. This forecasting doesn't come quite so soon in the other Gospels. So for John, we can find this forecasting of the resurrection is prioritizing the forgiveness and inclusion of the gospel. All are welcome to receive God's grace. And we see this play out in today's reading. Jesus gets upset when people become discouraged in their journey to the temple. Imagine being poor and saving and saving and saving so that for at least one Passover, you're going to journey with your family to Jerusalem you're going to make your offering to God in the temple. Now, this is a big deal, and you would remember it for the rest of your short life because this may be your one shot. Some have come to praise, and some have come to seek forgiveness. You may have even brought your own animal that you have raised to be the offering that you will make at the temple. And the priest says, oh, you can't use that animal. It has a blemish. What? This animal's perfect. It was the best one out of our flock. Sorry, blemish. (laughs) Well, what am I supposed to do? I drove it all the way here. (laughs) Well, you could sell it over there, and we have some lovely blemish-free animals for sale here. But those cost more than I could sell this one for. Well, you want to give God your best, don't you? (laughs) So I've come for praise and forgiveness, and I leave feeling cheated. Is that what they intended? It may have started as legitimate. You you didn't want truly blemished animals offered in the temple. And then it may have gotten a little out of hand. And that's when Jesus shows up. He found that those in charge of God's grace were making a profit off of the faithfulness of the flock. And he found that people were not deepening their faith at the temple but becoming cynical. And that makes him mad. It makes us ask, what is our priority? For Jesus, it is allowing all people access to God's grace. That's why John has this at the beginning. He's making a theological point for his gospel. I wonder if those working in the temple ever felt bad about this practice and wondered, how did we get to this point? You know, sometimes all of us can say that. I'd like to read to you now from the discipline of the United Methodist Church. (laughs) This book contains our polity, the way we've decided that we shall live together as the church. And it's got some pretty interesting tidbits in it. I'm going to read from paragraph 2533.1. The title of this is The Board of Trustees, Powers and Limitations. Now, the Board of Trustees is in charge of our building and grounds. And there's a sentence in here that says, "...and provided further that pews in the United Methodist Church shall always be free." Huh? Where did that come from? Did that mean that there was a time when pews weren't free? At some point in our history, did we actually sell the seats for worship? Bingo! (laughs) Yes, we actually used to raise funds for churches that way. We haven't always passed the plate as a liturgical act. There have been other fundraising efforts in church history... In the olden days, they used to sell pew space to families, and you could actually inherit it like a deed to a property. So when you told someone, you're in my seat, you ha- you may have had the papers to prove it. <laughs> if we were to do that today, which seats do you think would cost the most in our sanctuary? You know, for a concert, it's usually the front two rows, unless you're at a Gallagher concert, and kids, you can look that up later. But I don't think our front seats would be the most expensive Which ones would be the priciest in our sanctuary? You got it, it's the back rows. We could probably make a killing off of those, but we can't because it's in the Book of Discipline. Did you know that the Free Methodist Church split off from us in 1860 partially because of the whole selling of pew space? They thought God's grace should be freely available to all, and rightly so. And so we were properly chagrined, and so we put this line into our official rules of how we would live together. We had to get our priorities right because if Jesus came back, he might have turned some pews over. That would have been something to see. Then we might have seen a picture of someone lying under a pew holding his phone and the caption would be, Hold on, Jesus, let me finish this text I was sending. Priorities. How can we be more inclusive of people trying to find faith in this difficult world? What Jesus was showing the people outside the temple was that they were the welcoming party for people coming to the temple for the first time in their lives. And he's saying, you need to do better. Jesus is saying, how can I get their attention? We are all caretakers of God's grace. And sometimes we believe this grace is primarily for us, or at least it should be for us first. So here we are back in the first century, and we think we can make a quick buck for the temple, of course, by exchanging money for out-of-towners, who should be paying in good Hebrew funds. And they say, get that Roman money out of here. It's got those fake gods on them. You can't take that into the temple. Here, you can trade it in over here. Well, yes, for a small fee. Yes, you could get a better deal, but you'd have to leave and then come back. So you might as well just trade it in here. (laughs) What does it mean to be brokers of grace? It's not a bad gig, really. But we have to take care that we don't forget that this grace doesn't get used up, and so we don't have to hoard it. There were two families in a church where I worked with youth, and one boy we'll call Raymond saw his mother killed in front of him. He went to live with his alcoholic father and his grandparents. The grandmother was a member of our church. His father had a hard time holding down a job, and Raymond was now a sixth grader, and he would have been older, although he missed about a year of school. He made threatening remarks to a girl on his bus route. He exposed himself to children on the bus. Now when it was time for youth to begin, he starts attending. The girl Raymond threatened is also a member of the church and entering the youth group. Her parents are divorced, and she has feelings of abandonment from her father that are fairly well-founded. She has friends at school but is afraid of Raymond. Age-wise, they would attend the same mid-high program. The perception of the church members was that one family was unable to contribute much to the church financially. The other family was. How do we minister with grace in this situation? How do we not become money changers in front of the temple? Well, I visited with both families about the situation. I assured them that there would be adults monitoring the activities of Raymond to make sure he didn't repeat his earlier behavior. Both children needed the grace of God active in their lives. And in reality, with a program that small, you're going to gain one or the other. I felt that the church shouldn't turn its back on either of them. Sometimes we're called to wrestle with the decisions made on behalf of representing God. And that's okay. But sometimes we should feel the weight of living according to the grace that we've been asked to share the priority for us becomes sharing this grace with as many as possible. And sometimes that becomes difficult. But there's also a joy in the sharing. Jesus had to whip the priests into shape to remind them of their true priorities, that they are the servants of the people. Maybe that was the only way he could get through to them. I'm not going to crack any whips today, especially online. I'm going to simply share with you the gift for you to pass on to others, grace and love are like that. If you want them to grow, you have to make it a priority to give them away. Amen.